0: It's the 365 Days of Astronomy Podcast. Coming in 3, 2, 1.
1: Astronomy Cast, episode 552 voyage star and other strange stars welcome to astronomy cast our weekly facts based journey through the cosmos where we help you understand not only what we know but how we know what we know i'm fraser kane publisher of universe today with me as always dr pamela gay senior scientist for the planetary science institute and the director of cosmoquest hey pamela how you doing
2: I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser?
1: Good. We, For those of you who don't know, we are in the midst of the CosmoQuest hangout a 2019 edition. You have been streaming. You and your friends have already been streaming for, what, 28 hours so far?
2: We are at one day plus five hours, 42 minutes. There you go.
1: Almost uh, 30 hours. You will be um, going for another 10 hours after this. Uh, And that is, of course, to help raise money for Cosmic West and all the things that you do. So can you like give for the people who are listening to the show after the fact that it actually happened, we're still taking donations for the next 10 days. Yes. How can people participate and, and what are we looking to do here?
2: So what we're trying to do is raise the funding necessary that we don't have to do a lot of begging in 2020. Instead of uh, spreading the begging out over the year for all of our nonprofit efforts, which means if you donate and you're in the United States, it's tax deductible where the law allows. Yeah, 501c. Um, exactly. So, as part of the Planetary Science Institute, we produce the Daily Space podcast. We, I. Uh, produce all the science projects that you see over at CosmoQuest. And all of these efforts take staff time, money, effort. And for the past year, a lot of the people in our team have been putting in effort that they know needs to get done, that they know is the right thing to do. And we haven't had the money to pay all their hours. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to pay people for everything they do. I want to pay them a living wage. And the difference between what we bring in in a standard month between donations and Patreon and everything else, and what we need to pay everyone all the hours they work is over the course of an entire year and multiple human beings, just
1: $40,000.
2: And right now, as we record, we've raised just over 10% of that. It's not a lot, but hey, it's one month of me not begging. Yeah. And my goal is, is to raise this fund so that we can focus on doing science with you. Yeah. We just put out a press release, and uh, hopefully it will be hitting all of the news on Monday, announcing the names of the people in the CosmoQuest community who helped map out the sample sites that Osiris Rex is potentially going to go grab samples from. The names of the people that mapped the entire world, allowing us to find those safe and scientifically interesting places to explore.
1: Our goal Your donations with, empower us to do this. I mean, our goal with CosmoQuest and with Astronomy Cast and, and what we're doing with all these projects is to help be the connection between the people who love space and astronomy and the science researchers who are, who are doing the work to blur that line between who is a fan of space and astronomy and who is um, actually doing active research. Thanks to everyone's work at CosmoQuest mapping rocks on Bennu, the folks at NASA were able to choose their landing site for OSIRIS-REx to be able to collect a sample and, and escape again, we hope. Probably if everything is, uh, you know, if it's as safe as it looks and that was done thanks to a tremendous effort by so many people out there and, yeah. and, and we, you know, we do this work f- hopefully for the benefit of, of all humankind and we don't put anything behind any paywalls. We do everything out as much as we can out in the open, give as because education should be free anyone who wants to learn should be able to learn and
2: the closest we
1: get to a paywall
2: is telling the discoverers days or sometimes weeks ahead of the world that they discovered something and and that's just to allow us to get our ducks in a row
1: yeah and you know the alternatives are put things behind paywalls put a mountain of advertising and sponsorships and and so on and 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 hopefully, we can sort of find that perfect balance. And the way that works is by people supporting. So, what is the URL? What is the link that people should go to if they want to contribute to what we're doing with CosmoQuest?
2: So if you want to contribute to the hangout a the best way that you can donate is to go to streamlabs.com slash x. This uh, puts it through PayPal. There are no extra fees charged. And this is simply a good way to keep our accounting in order. Now, uh, if you want more ways to donate, uh, go to CosmoQuest.org slash X slash donate. And you will see all the different ways that you can contribute to everything that we do.
1: Right on. So, thank you everybody for your continued support uh, through these 552 episodes so far, and all the work that's been done with CosmoQuest, and all the work that's being done with the Weekly Space Hangout. Uh, and here's to decades more. All right, let's get into this. So huge surveys of the sky are finding more and more planets, stars, and galaxies, but they're also turning up strange objects astronomers have never seen before, like Boyajian star. Today we're going to talk about some unusual objects astronomers have discovered and why this number is only going to go way, way up. All right, Pamela. So let's talk about uh, Boyajian star. Um, how? What is it, and how did we find out about it?
2: Well... This, this is a star that, that we've been observing for long periods of time. Uh, you can go back through glass plate studies, and it's just a star. It hangs out. It's had slow gradual dimming, no big deal. But then when Kepler started looking at it, they realized, oh, oh, something is going on really weird. Back in March of 2011, it was noticed that this star's brightness had dropped by 15 percent in a way that wasn't something you would expect from any of the normal suspects.
1: Right. So stars can drop in brightness on a regular basis, variable stars. How did this look different from a normal variable star?
2: Well, first of all, 15 percent is, is a large amount. And we, we see this kind of amount, but you expect there to be a certain periodicity that, while it may have variations. It's, it's regular in shape and it, it hit a dip of 15% in March, 2011. It then increased by, a, well, it, Increased by 22% in February of 2013. And it had this irregular change. And we there's gaps in the observing because Kepler reaction wheels. We all know how Fraser Don't feels Kepler. about reaction wheels. Um, but in looking at this, what we saw clearly wasn't a planet passing in front of it. Because that would have been like a 1% dip. It didn't match the periodicity and the regularity in brightening and fading that we expect of variable stars. There was this slow and gradual fading between 1890 and 1990 of about 20% that just was added on to all of this as an afterthought. And all of this led to this insanity of guesswork being done, where I think every possible theory except for a giant kitchen sink was thrown out to try and explain.
1: I'm sure there's a paper this somewhere. Boy non- agent and Star is a, is a kitchen sink, a, meta, a mega, mega sink structure.
2: And, and all of us had fun with this. Yeah. I, how did you first report it on Universe Today?
1: Well, I mean, for us, it's a, it's a tricky thing. So, I mean, this star dimming, the astronomers called attention to this star as a mystery, as a thing that was weird. Yeah. And, and when they discover that a thing is weird, then they want to try and understand what's causing it. And whenever yeah. you do that, you kind of have to go back to square one and go. Could it be dust? Could it be gas? Could it be some, some kind of variable star? Could it be some kind of interaction? Could it have rings, planets, Kuiper belts? Could it the other stars passing in front? Could it be some kind of gravitational lensing? Like they, and then one that you know gets thrown as well is could it be some kind of like intelligently created structure that's in front of it, a megastructure, a partially built um, Dyson sphere that's causing this dimming. No, no one ever believes that, but you can't rule it out. But I mean, you can never always rule out, you can always never rule out aliens, right? Um, You can never always rule out (laughs) aliens. So, um, it's never
2: aliens, but you you have to consider aliens.
1: Yeah. And yeah, but you should rule it out even though it's, because it's never aliens. Um, But and so you get all of these this this back-to-score, like, what is it? And then astronomers then try to fit everything. Then they do all their models. They try to fit all the stuff. And so we covered, I mean, these are some of my favorite stories to cover because you get this time where it is a genuine mystery. And everyone just goes, like, we, there's this thing. We don't know what it is. Let's find out. Let's let curiosity be our guide, and let's get to the bottom of this. And it has taken us years now with all of this stuff getting applied in different models to try and figure out what's going on observations to chase down those ideas and now what do astronomers probably think is going on dust dust good old dust
2: so so let's let's just run down what we thought it was and and how we know that's not what it is so one of the early ideas was that it was a regular, everyday, circumstellar dust ring. So a ring of material around, I'm looking for a disk-like object. So the idea was that we had a ring of material around the central star. And as this ring of material went around and, and changed its inclination, um, it would dim that star. And we've seen objects like this before.
1: It's but like, I'm, I mean, just to tell, give people who are trying to imagine this, right? Like take a coin, spin it on, the, on a table, and as it starts to slow down, it'll start to sort of wobble around on the rim of the coin, and you'll be yeah. seeing how this coin is kind of wobbling. And from our perspective, imagine that is a, is a dust ring, and so sometimes we're seeing the star, and then other times we're seeing this ring of dust pass in front of right. the star.
2: And the kind of repeating nature of something like that isn't what we've seen. So, OK, it doesn't appear to be a circumstellar dust ring. So then there's the idea of it's a cloud of disintegrating comets, something shocked the solar system's equivalent of the Oort cloud. And comets went raining in. And as they block the light or don't block the light, we see the variations in the star's brightness. But with that 100-year gradual dimming, that doesn't really seem to make any sense. And how many comets does the system have and what is causing them to keep? So it just wasn't consistent with comets being flung inwards. Worthy idea. Worthy idea. I. There was the idea that it was a young star and that the solar nebula around it was still mm. forming and coalescing. But this is an old star. Right. So You can't both be a young solar nebula and an old star. Right. Uh, there was the idea that it was a planetary debris field. So something bad happened and you have all these chunks of rocks um, different periodicities lead to different amounts of dimming, but what we saw just didn't quite, the colors were wrong. Um, there was an idea that a planet was eaten and the star burped, but a 100-year-long dimming followed by the brightening and dimming. Right. Uh, there was an idea that there was a gignormous version of Saturn orbiting it. And the oscillating rings of this jignormous Saturn that is an eclipsing binary. But they couldn't make the math work on it um, because there's this hundred-year dimming beforehand. Yeah. So so then you start, like, trying to add different periods. Just, no. Right. Um, That it was just the star does it. Star does it.
1: But yeah, but star does it. Seen... But why? But why does the star do it? <laughs> yeah. right? like you can't just say star does it, and then because right. that's like aliens did it. Like, what is the and, mechanism? And
2: yeah, so people tried to figure out is it star spots? Is it and and just none of our theories worked. Um, my favorite is the uh artificial megastructure. I actually got to sit on a panel at Dragon Con with Larry Niven and talk to him about this.
1: Oh my god, Ringworld. World.
2: And yeah, but the issue was that, so you explain the gradual dimming as, as they build the structure around this. You explain the variability as different inclinations of the structure that is incompletely built. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would expect certain notches out of the colors of the star if you have a structure. Because the structure would be blocking most colors of the light, right? But then radiating away infrared, infrared. because it's right. Yeah, it's warm, and we don't see that infrared uh, overage that 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 infrared excess yeah. that you would expect from an alien megastructure.
1: And just just momentary rabbit hole for a second. That is a technique that astronomers have used to go looking for megastructures, like. You do a gigantic survey, like the WISE survey, of the entire mm. sky looking for really weird infrared stars. Stars. And that's what a a megastructure, a, a Dyson cloud would look like. And astronomers haven't seen any. And people are always it's say, like, frustrating. Well, what if the aliens are blocking the the infrared radiation? That's heat. If you block the infrared radiation, you just cook. It's called an yeah. oven, and you're in it. So you've got to get that, that infrared radiation away. And so they, they have to release it in some yeah. way, shape, or form. And so we would be able to detect it. And so this is one of the things, one of the methods of SETI. Astronomers have looked hard for for both entire galaxies covered in, in Dyson spheres and in right. individual stars within the Milky Way. And so far, nothing's turned up. And we would see them. But anyway, I digressed. In a fun way. Yeah. Back to the, back so, to the story.
2: <laughs> and, and this is where it came down to uh, lots of people combining lots of observations. We, we had folks uh, spelunking through the historic literature, through the glass plates, looking for old observations. Everyone trying to put all this data together. And what was eventually found is um, there there are changes in color that people screwed up the maths initially. So one of the early papers that came out was this can't be dust because the color is wrong. Again, looking for that infrared radiation of warm dust. Right. The color was wrong in an initial paper. And when the work got redone... They found that, yes, if you look at it in one color, you see one amount of dimming. If you look at it in a different color, you don't see the same dimming, because that infrared radiation is letting more of the starlight come out, and the warm dust is radiating light. right And, and so it turns out sometimes it takes more than one person to do the same kind of research. It takes more than one telescope, and it takes a lot of years. It was only in 2017 that people really started to accept the idea of, oh yes, this is actually dust. And it took observations um, that that here is what it says in the original research paper. This chromatic extinction implies dust particle sizes. So this is the colors of light that are blocked. Right implies that there is one micron dust. Um, And that dust will be rapidly blown away by stellar radiation pressure. So the light from the star is blasting this dust away. So the dust clouds must have formed within months. So this means there are are things that are currently coalescing, these dust clouds. The modern infrared observations were taken at a time when there was at least... um, 12.4% Twelve point four percent, plus or minus one point three percent, dust coverage, um, and yada yada yada. And this is consistent with dimming originating in circumstellar dust. Right. So there is a ring of dust around this star. It's getting blasted away, recoalescing, getting blasted away, and this this process, which isn't periodic, is dimming the star in some colors and not others in a way that allows us to actually figure out what size the dust is.
1: Wow. And since Boyajian star, and the name comes from the researcher who helped identify.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Astronomers have since found other potential candidate objects that are kind of similar behaving in the same way, right?
2: Yeah, there there is a a whole set of them, um, and they all have esoteric numbers. So we have right. HD one zero zero five four three HD. They all have yeah. HD numbers, and and these are are protoplanetary systems in most cases. And it's that difference between it being a young star and this one being an older star that led to the confusion. But there are these rare instances of stars doing weird stuff out there. One of my favorite weirdo cases is our corona borealis stars. These are stars that periodically undergo dramatic dimming events that are very characteristic because the stars apparently periodically sneeze dust and all this dust blocks their own light. And and so we're finding a new class of star. And what's amazing is, if the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope manages to come on next year, as we hope it will, it's scheduled to. It got bumped again.
1: No, no. no 20, 20. I thought it was twenty twenty one. If it maybe it 20- maybe first test twenty twenty. Anyway, I don't think first it's light
2: twenty twenty full survey mode twenty twenty one. All right. We're both right. Um, That's nice. It's nice when we're both right. Uh, When it.
1: That's a very, that was on. a very nice way of saying that you're wrong, Fraser. Please continue. I'm, I'm probably
2: wrong. <laughs> you were right, I'm right about I'm probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, when LSST comes online, it is going to start ramping up towards burying us in new kinds of stellar variability fully operational in 2021 it will be covering the entire sky every few days as visible from the southern hemisphere and they're expecting potentially millions of transient events every single night yeah as the telescope spots things that flicker flare fade away and move in our sky
1: we had a similar situation with hanny's verwerp we talked about that you know many years ago on on multiple occasions Mm -hmm. and you you sort of started to talk about this with the lsst um astronomy is kind of changing where these sorts of objects are now going to start turning up, right? I mean, it's right. we're entering the realm of giant surveys.
2: And the way to think of this is if there's only there are no purple M&M's except at Easter, if there's one purple M&M for every million M&M's made and you randomly are gifted bags of M&M's by random people, I want to be you first
1: of all. <laughs> second of all m&m recipient yes sponsor
2: <laughs> second um as you go through these m&ms you're probably not going to encounter that purple m&m unless you're really lucky well our sky is huge and as we work to study it fainter more distant rare objects may not get readily uncovered yeah This star just happened to be in the Kepler field.
1: Right. And that's the key. That's a fairly small field of the sky.
2: But it had a huge number of stars in it. And so we're looking at, what, one in 100,000?
1: Right. And so I think that's the part that's super interesting about this is that we've seen variable stars. I'm sure the first time someone saw a variable star... Like they said, like, that's weird. Um, and then what's causing, what causes a star to change in brightness over the course of a couple of weeks? That's madness, right? right. And now we see them all over the, t- the place. We can use them as measuring sticks. We see, we see stars that are giant and red. We see stars that are dim and red. We see stars that are different colors. So a lot, a lot of the, um, the regular stuff has been seen and now we're looking for the weird stuff and it's these giant surveys that are turning up these weird candidates and, and that story of Boyage and Star is you know like you said like you said right you getting a purple M&M in your and they like how did that happen and you got like you call him M&M, right. you know the factory and you find out that at one point someone did it as a joke or maybe someone um the easter
2: run got mixed in with yeah, the regular yeah one M&Ms. got
1: yeah one got left out and there's like an explanation but it's going to take some more time and so we're now finding all the weird edge case scenarios, which is really exciting.
2: And and I do need to give a shout out to Astro YYZ and Keeper of Maps, two of our audience members who have sent me both maple cream cookies, a Canadian delicacy that was sent to the ISS, but before that ever happened, was my favorite kind of cookie, as well as canadian kit kats which don't have corn syrup in them in the same way and um smarties canadian style which right. is my husband's favorite candy so annie's gonna get to try them and then i suspect the rest will be stolen um that is so so, funny. so i did have a candy fairy that may have inspired can, that analogy
1: can confirm but these <laughs> the canadian these things.
2: these yeah uh These rare stars, they they can be rare for two different reasons. One of them is they could be rare because it's a very short-lived phenomena. So if you think about it, it is only for the briefest moment in time that your average human is doing certain things. Um, We all, at one point or another, are going to choke on a glass of water. Let's face it. It's not that rare. I've probably misswallowed something once per year and here is Fraser drinking and testing yeah. fate.
1: Yeah, we don't we don't breathe our liquids.
2: But accidents happen. Now, the average person observing me is not going to ever see me choke on water because it's a brief thing that's going to happen. Right. But all of us in our lives are going to eventually see one person in our life choke on a glass of water because yeah human but there's other things that we do are much more rare um not everybody but some people have the misfortune of actually like choking on something solid Ugh. and needing the heimlich maneuver yeah and in my entire life i have only once ever needed to use the heimlich maneuver and most people will never have to use yeah. the heimlich maneuver. Uh,
1: yeah i haven't yet good <laughs> yeah
2: and and so that's a very short-lived phenomena that is both short-lived and rare, which means having it occur is not something that is typically yeah. going to happen. Now, that moment that a helium flash occurs in a star, that moment that so many things we probably don't even know what are happen in a star, is short-lived in the grand span of how long stars live. And so the probability we will be looking at the right star at the right time to catch the yeah. short-lived event is low, so we're going to miss a lot of short-lived phenomena. I, and then there's just going to be weirdo stars that do weirdo things across their entire life, but they're few in number.
1: Yeah. I mean, think about a supernova. Right? A supernova is a very rare event. A star that has survived as a as a star for millions of years, reaches the end of its life and detonates and is gone in a flash. And we see them out there all over the place across the universe. And yet if you compare those to the rarity of other things, they would be incredibly um rare. But it's because they're very bright and so we see them. Yes. And so we're now gonna see the things that are very rare and not bright and not yes. easy to see. And that is Yes. And and we're gonna learn as much from these new objects as we have from the bright ones from the from the supernova that just happened they we happened to notice them first because they were you know a star many times the mass of the sun detonating in a moment and gone and turning into a black hole I can't wait I can't wait this is I I, like we're so close to seeing data come out of the LSST and these other sky surveys as well um W first, and what test turns up, and what the Gaia survey turns up, yeah. Um, Plato, uh, Cheops just launched, K- or Cheops. Anyway, people give me a hard K- time.
2: I, yeah, still working yeah. on the pronunciation yeah.
1: of that um, one. So we are uh, just is it, it has never been a more exciting time to be following the latest stuff on astronomy, and we will of course bring you many, many more of this every week. Especially next week, maybe. Um, I don't know. And, but until yes, then. Yes, and until
2: then, and this is a hint, that, that thing that you're wondering why we aren't talking about it, next week we'll talk about it.
1: Yeah, uh, the Betelgeuse thing? Yeah. Yeah, okay. We could also talk about the Starliner not making it to the International Space Station, but maybe not. That's
2: Well, that's it, things look forward to to 2020. Yeah. Is it actually making yeah, come it come next on, time?
1: Betelgeuse. <laughs> I love it.
2: (laughs) So, uh, before we go, I do need to thank our astronomy cast. Patreons. Uh, so this week's people that we're going to thank are Glenn Baba Samuel, Joshua Pearson, Dustin Ralph, Joe w- Wilkinson, Brian Kilby, Chad Colopy, William Lauer, Jeremy Kirwin, Mark Stephen Raznak, Jay Alex Anderson, uh, Brent Krynop, Omar Del Rivero, Tim Garrish, Tyron Fong, Arthur Lots Hall, Dave Gates, and Neuter Dude thank you so much you and your patronage at, at patreon.com slash astronomy keep this show going um and if you want to help cosmoquest we are continuing to try and raise money uh well we're going to still be doing it after the new year um you can go to streamlabs.com slash cosmoquestx to help out with the well overall administration of everything we do
1: Thank you, Pamela. Thanks, everyone. Uh, And we will see you all next week. Have a great Christmas if you you celebrate it. And Festivus for the rest of us.
2: And enjoy the discount candy.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Happy holidays, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye
0: across 10 years and more than 12 million downloads, we've brought you day after day of content thank you for making this possible now we've added a new way to donate to 365 Days of Astronomy to support editing, hosting, and production costs, just visit www.patreon.com forward slash 365 Days of Astronomy and donate as much as you can share the podcast with your friends and send the Patreon link to them too everybody Bit helps. As we head toward our tenth anniversary on January 1st, 2019, we have to ask, what in the cosmos do you want to hear about? Let us know by emailing us at info at 365 days of astronomy. Thank you. You are listening to the IYA 365 Days of Astronomy Podcast. <laughs> The 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is produced by the Planetary Science Institute. Audio post production by Richard Drum. Bandwidth donated by Libsyn.com and Wizard Media. You may reproduce and distribute this audio for non-commercial purposes. Please consider supporting the podcast with a few dollars or euros. Visit us on the web at three six five days org or email us at info at three six five days of astronomy org. This year we will celebrate the Year of Everyday Astronomers as we embrace amateur astronomer contributions and the importance of citizen science. Join us and share your story. Until tomorrow, goodbye.